All right. Uh, the gospel and baptism. That's what I want to talk about this morning for a little bit. And um, if we turn to Matthew chapter 28, we will use that as our starting point. Matthew chapter 28. Now that's a, quite a topic. And we may not finish it today. So we'll see. We'll find, I think, through this study that baptism is a far more important thing than we normally think of it as. You know, many times when people hear the gospel, they believe the message of God through his son, Jesus Christ, concerning our future, our need for him, forgiveness of sins, and so on, that we immediately want to follow that up with baptism and, of course, normally stated as being a testimony of what has just occurred within, that is, in our own hearts. And though that be a true statement, I think there's far more, far more that goes along with baptism and the importance of it than just a mere outward testimony, though it is that. As a matter of fact, that is outwardly what it's testifying to, but in other words, the content of what was received in that gospel message is very important to us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Really, what we're going to show then, and the intention is, is to show what that baptism is really an essential part of the gospel. And that if we were to neglect this feature, then you really are jeopardizing your salvation. And you need to think that through course, and I'll, I'll explain a couple of these terms so that we'll know just exactly what we're talking about. And what I'm also going to suggest is that this common thing that we hear regarding the gospel today is that really all we need to do is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That if I neglect this important matter, well, in the end, it's probably not going to matter because I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus anyway. And there's far more to it than just that, as I hope to show this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, actually, if you look at verse 17, regarding the Lord Jesus, you'll see that he was with his 11 disciples in verse 16, and they were at a specific location, it says, in Galilee, in a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them. And notice it says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <coughs> well, you got to remember, he had just died. They had witnessed his death on the cross, but they had known of his resurrection, and yet, in this appearance, they worshipped him, they recognized him, 
but yet there was some wavering, some doubting going on what this was all about. In verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Or, literally there, to the end of the age. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And that's an important thing to take note of at this point. To the very end of the age. And so we see in this this final commissioning of his disciples before his ascension, he's given them a specific task. And this task is wrapped up in some very simple, and yet on the other hand, some very profound thoughts. You'll notice he says in giving this commissioning that he has the authority to do so. All power is given unto me. Now, virtually every other translation that you consult will say all authority is given unto me. And that really is what the term means and what it expresses. Jesus had the authority based upon what had just occurred in his death and his burial and his resurrection to command his disciples regarding these things. And you'll notice this authority, it says, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It's complete. It has the full sanction of God the Father in what he's about to tell his disciples. And this is what he tells them to do. They are to go, therefore, and teach or disciple or make disciples of all nations. And in consort with that is baptizing them. Make disciples, that's the order, baptize them, he says, in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then concluding with that, once they have been made disciples, once they have been baptized, then they are to be taught to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now that's quite an order because it hasn't been completed yet. And you'll notice, well, you won't notice in English, but when he says to the end of the age... It's a compound word. It has this little word, uh, soon, telia. Now, telios is the end, the goal, the aim of the age. And this, as many prefixes do, adds some intensity to this word. It means to the full, complete end of the age. In other words, his promise was to be with them in the preaching of this gospel right up to the very last day of this age, right to the fullness thereof. Turn back with me to Mark's gospel, to another account. Say turn back, I got to turn ahead really. In Mark chapter 16, 
and really very simple verses there. <coughs> and look at verse 14. Notice here it says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Evidently this was another occasion. They were not on the mountain, but they were at a, gathered together at a meal. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Well, Matthew just said it was, they were doubting on that occasion. Here, it's their unbelief and hardness of heart. Boy, doesn't that tell us something about those who had spent probably four years with the Lord? And yet, in spite of all that they had experienced, all the miracles that he had done... The, the manifestation of the voice of God from heaven pronouncing upon his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They had heard that. They had witnessed his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. They had seen the Lord. And yet, in view of all of that, He's upbraiding them, chiding them regarding their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Wow. And even Luke's account. Says much the same thing. Regarding their unbelief. And so in verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, in time past, we have gone through the gospels and the New Testament talking about what is the gospel. And we went right back to the very beginning of each gospel and we saw that the gospel content had to do with the preaching regarding the coming kingdom. Repent ye, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And as John the Baptist, as the forerunner, announced, and we'll look at this again in a moment, the coming of the Christ and the preparing of the way for him, and as Jesus began his public ministry preaching the gospel, we saw that throughout his entire ministry with his disciples, he never wavered or changed in his message. And we saw that consistently throughout all the Gospels, the message had to do with the gospel of the kingdom. Although, oftentimes, he would just abbreviate the terms. He didn't say gospel of the kingdom or word of the kingdom in every instance. Sometimes he just called it the gospel. Sometimes he just called it preaching the word and so on. But in every case and in every context, we saw that this preaching of this gospel message was always regarding the gospel of the kingdom. So when he tells the disciples here, preach the gospel, I would have to surmise that he hadn't changed anything here either. That they were to still go forth proclaiming, there's good news about the kingdom.
And then when we went to the book of Acts, we saw that that's exactly what the disciples did and the, and the rest of those who believed. They continued preaching the gospel of the kingdom and we saw several references where, he said, where it said, and Jesus Christ. They simply added on to the good news of this message the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ and what God had sent him to do. And so here he's telling them, preach the gospel to every creature, all of creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Or a better word there is condemned, severely judged, a sentence pronounced upon them. And when he says here that everyone or he, the one that believes and is baptized, shall be saved. Now we've learned some things about these little conjunctions like this one, and, and what goes on before and after are given really equal importance, just as they are in this case here. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, oftentimes what men will do is say, well, in the rest of that verse, it doesn't say, but he that believeth not and is baptized not shall not be or shall be condemned. But quite frankly, there was no need to. Because if one hadn't believed, which is the priority, which comes first, then that rendered baptism completely unnecessary and out of the picture. It wasn't an element to even be considered. If one rejected the gospel, if they were disbelieving, and that's what that word is, it's a pistuo, to not believe, then they were automatically, without any regard to baptism, they were to be judged, sentenced, sentenced, condemned, as it were. And so, I think we see clearly here, and I hope we would see clearly here from, from Mark's gospel, regarding this command that the Lord had given them, regarding the preaching of the gospel, is that those who believe this gospel and are baptized shall be saved. Now, you just keep that thought in mind because we're going to look at that some more. Um, who is to be baptized then? Well, from a verse like this, we would see that only believers. So that right away does away with any baptism that does not include belief with it. So that automatically excludes infant baptism or any other kind of baptism that does not have belief accompanying it. Now, um, go back to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look here at John the Baptist for a moment as he is announcing his um, 
or beginning his ministry and announcing the nearness of the kingdom. It says in verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. I know we read these verses last week. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of, of the heavens is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him uh, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, in this little account here, we see another connection. They were baptized of him, confessing their sins. And so we see an, another association here with this whole idea of baptism. It was in connection with the confession of sins. And what John was doing here, his ministry, his preaching, as we noted last week, was to prepare the way for the Lord. And we saw back in Isaiah chapter 40 that he was to make the, the high hills low and the low hills high. In other words, he was to make the paths straight. He was to smooth things out. How was he doing that? By calling them to repentance. By calling them to a confession of sins. By calling them to a recognition of this kingdom which he was pronouncing as being near at hand. To respond to that. And that's exactly what they did. They came out of the city, out to the wilderness where John was, to, down near the Jordan River, and there he was baptizing them. And there they were confessing their sins. Now, with that in mind, we turn over to Luke chapter 7, and we'll see more of this ministry of John Now, you'll notice in verse 18, the context here, the disciples of John showed him of all these things. Uh, we're talking about the disciples of John the Baptist. And down in verse 24, when these uh, had come to Jesus asking them about who he was, it says, when the messengers of John were departed in verse 24, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out? into the wilderness for to see, a reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. 
But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Now, here we find, again, in this ministry of John the Baptist, these who had gone out to the wilderness and were baptized of him, it says they justified God. That is, they declared God to be righteous. He was just in what he was proclaiming. The message was true. And the baptism that they experienced under John in confessing their sins was an outward testimony to their reception of this message. But you'll notice that with the Pharisees and the lawyers, it says they were not baptized of him, and by not being baptized of him, it says they rejected the counsel of God. Their refusal to receive this message that John was preaching was their testimony, as it were, of their own rejection of this gospel regarding the kingdom of the heavens being at hand. Now, what then, what place, when we respond to the gospel, what place is baptism to play? Well, when we talk about an accident and we talk about emergency personnel, we talk about first responders, don't we? The The first response. What should our first response be? And in everywhere that we see this message, we see baptism. That is to say, whenever we see, whenever we hear this message concerning the gospel of the kingdom and those who are the recipients of that gospel, then there is immediately baptism. Now, I know that sometimes, and I used to be of this persuasion in a big way, I didn't want to see anybody get baptized till I could be sure that I felt like they were really saved. But I've come to understand, if we just take the simple words of Scripture, that that's not a valid thing to do. Now, I know, too, also, we think, well, I know more now than I did when I got baptized. So I wonder, should I go back and get baptized again? Because I didn't really understand what I was doing then. Well, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. You know, there's no teaching at all about what baptism is. No, no defining things about it in the Gospels. It's not, not even in the book of Acts. It's not till you get to the epistles that we find any real instruction about what is occurring in water baptism. Which was what? Following the death of Christ some 25 to 35 years later. And what I'm suggesting here is that 
really, what really matters, what really is of first importance is not necessarily the understanding at the beginning. It's the obedience. It's following through with what the Lord commanded us to do. And it's incumbent upon us who are preaching the gospel to follow the order in which the Lord gave it. Make disciples, baptize them, then teach them. Now, what does all that have to do, really, with anything? Well, a couple things I want to point out. In this scene we're looking at here in Luke chapter 7, there's quite an interesting contrast being set forth between the common people and the publicans who came out to John in the wilderness to be baptized of him, otherwise called sinners. And if we look down at verse 34... You'll see it where it says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Sinners was just the, the term for the common people. It was the tax collectors and the common people who were coming out to Jesus to be baptized of him. But when the Pharisees and the lawyers came, John chides them by saying, What did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? A man clothed in soft raiment, soft clothing? That wasn't what John wore, was it? His clothing was not described as being what we would think of as being soft, but really kind of rough. And his food was not the elegant, delicate things of refined people, but as it was of one who lived in the desert. Simple things. And you'll notice what he says there in verse 25 of Luke 7. He says, Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled, gloriously appareled is the word, stoxos, it's a compound word though, it means extravagantly clothed, well-dressed. And he says they live delicately, they live in luxury, and where do you find these people? He said, in king's courts, or as some translate it, in king's palaces. You don't typically find these people out in the desert. And John was saying, what are you doing out here? Now these lawyers and these Pharisees, they were representative of the religious crowd of the day much like you would look at the religious crowd of our day. They build elaborate edifices, churches, cathedrals, whatever you want to call them, buildings that are very ornate. They're appointed to high offices. They have great power and authority in many cases. Matter of fact, I guess I'd have to say in most cases, they carry a lot of weight, a lot of authority. And yet, so John wants to know, why are you out here? Because they didn't come for the same reason that the lawyer or the sinners and the publicans came. And that was shown because they refused to be baptized of him. And they rejected his message. 
Now, having said all that, I want us to go back to Isaiah, the 51st chapter. Isaiah 51. I get my phone out. I got to check that time because it looks like it says what I think it says. Okay. Verse 5. Isaiah 51, verse 5. Notice what he says there. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me. And on mine arm shall they trust. Now, these that were in exile, Isaiah is writing to, through the Lord, of course, to encourage them concerning the future. He says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be literally... To the age. My salvation shall be to the age. And my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. Who was Isaiah specifically appealing to? Ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Now, I can tell you right away, that was not every Jew. As a matter of fact, when it came time for them to return back from Babylon, many never came. They stayed. They remained there. Because they had gotten jobs there, built their businesses there, grown their families there, and they determined that it was time to stay not go back. But he's appealing to these here, the people in whose heart is my law, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings, for the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be for the age, and my salvation from generation to generation. Now, it should be evident to us here that the salvation of which the Lord speaks has to do with the coming age. The one that had been promised long ago and continued to be promised by these prophets, these mouthpieces for the Lord regarding this coming age and the salvation that went along with attaining to that age. Look over at chapter 52. And. wants to look at verse Not verse 8. Verse 7, sorry. 
Verse 7, how beautiful shall, uh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigns. And again, and if we were to go on and read through the rest of Isaiah 52 on into Isaiah 53 and the whole chapter, we would see regarding the coming servant of God who would prepare the way, who would make the way for this to occur. Thy God reigns. And all of this salvation pointing to and having to do with this coming age. Now, back to Mark chapter 1, if you would, and we'll, we'll tie things up there. Mark chapter 1, where verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And over in verses 14 and 15, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is, this one regarding this coming age. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This gospel. Repent ye and believe the gospel. When we go back then to Mark chapter 16, where Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And I am submitting to you that in this context here of what he's speaking of, this salvation has to do with participation in that coming age or that coming kingdom. And that baptism is an essential part of that gospel message. And so very simply put, if we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet we have refused to be baptized. And I don't know that there's anyone here like that. I didn't preach that message for that reason because I just don't know. But I wanted to, for us to establish the value, the importance, and the absolute necessity that if we are to be participants in that future age when Jesus Christ rules this earth and ushers in the righteousness and the peace that we long for, Baptism is an absolute essential part of that gospel. And so if it should be that you have never have been baptized, then I'd like to urge you to do so today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. We thank you for the importance of it and the necessity of the gospel and following through, believing all that you've given us even to baptism, to discipleship, to the teaching of your commandments. Lord, I pray that you would, through this, help us to be obedient to all that you've given us to do and to believe.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.